Hello and welcome again to Super Women, a podcast designed to help you manage your money and to end the gender gap that forces so many women into poverty when they leave work. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Really Simple Money team. In the studio is illustrious superwoman team, Bernadette Chua. Hi, Rosie. And Burns leading our campaign. And also our campaign director, Peter Lynch. Hello. Hello. And I'm Rosie Jacobs, your host and the superwoman campaign coordinator. Today we're going to discuss the thorny question. Did you put that in there, Peter, because I'm a rose and this is the thorny. Oh, I see what you did there. I'm on to you. Thorny. Now, this is the thorny question. Where do you go for good, honest, independent financial advice? Manolo Blahnik. Ah, nice one, Burn. Now, but the answer isn't as easy as you might think. It's actually difficult. It is really difficult, isn't it? But you'll hear from one woman who is working to create change. Yes, and our resident money expert, Genevieve Frost of The Reality Check. She'll be giving us a rundown on the best money advice that she's ever received. Now that should be worth hearing. Yes, I love her advice. But first, what's been going on with our Super Women campaign to get superannuation paid on parental leave? Well, great question, Rosie. As you know, we've got the support of almost every major super fund. A number of businesses like Telstra and KPMG, trade union movement is backing us, and 82% of really simple money readers say they will vote for a party that says it will implement super on parental leave. Mm. But sadly, the Labour Party this week declared they won't be pursuing a policy they took to the electorate in 2019. Mm. Yeah. Shame on them. But so why? Why not? What's their excuse? Well, well Rosie, Labour says they can't afford it. Uh, it will cost only $200 million a year. I know that sounds a lot, but when you consider Labour's childcare subsidies will cost $5.4 billion mm. and the coalition's commuter car parks cost $600 million a year. Uh-huh. You get some kind of perspective on the problem. I love a commuter car park. <laughs> <laughs> Not enough pork barreling in women's super yeah. problems, perhaps. Then. Very possibly, burn. We have no quarrel with childcare, by the way, but when we consider that over 160,000 women have children every year, their pay is up to 20% less than men and they get no super while looking after their kids, Mm. it's almost a baby tax. It's perhaps not so surprising that women over 55 are the fastest growing homeless group in Australia. Yes, and that super gap is never made up. They end up with far less in savings for retirement. And we end up paying for whatever social needs they have. Not that it's a bad thing, but this shouldn't be happening. It's a bad thing. Mm. Peter, I want some good news, please. Well, well, all parties accept it's the right thing to do. I know. I know. Weird, right? Both Labour and Coalition agree it should be done. And they also say they will re-examine their position once they get into uh-huh. office. Yeah, sure they right about time. Yeah, I heard that before. Yeah. Every independent candidate is supporting the move, along with the Greens. And in fact, we've got the Greens Senator, Larissa Waters, on the line right now from the campaign trail. Larissa, it's so great to chat with you. And of course, a campaign trail, you're not behind a desk, are you? No, I'm actually sitting in my car as it's pouring with rain and I've been standing at one of the pre-poll booths under a very large umbrella, getting very wet and uh, trying to convince people <laughs> well, that they this can is have a democracy works that works you, better yeah, for Yeah, when them. you're on the trail, it's like you're in the trenches, I think. This so, is democracy in action. <laughs> we're very pleased to have you with us today and thank you for uh, for making time to, to squeeze us in. You must be absolutely flat chat and and excited. 
I am, but it's lovely to be with you because gender issues are important. I'm very happy to talk about them. The whole campaign should have been speaking more about them, in my opinion. Brilliant. Well, that, that's music to our ears. Now, the Greens are the only party which stands behind the idea of super during parental leave. Why do you believe that's so important? Well, I mean, it's pretty obvious, really. Women are retiring into poverty after a lifetime of mostly unpaid care. And the least we can do to try and close that gender pay gap and gender retirement gap is to pay superannuation while women are on parental leave. And not only that, we want to increase the amount of parental leave and uh, both in terms of time and amount that parents can access. And we want to encourage dads to take their share of parental leave as well to set up those really positive caring habits that can help spread that unpaid care load better throughout the parent's working life. Women should not be getting further behind financially when they are doing the incredibly important task of raising kids. As it is, the society doesn't economically value that task. It should. And the first step that can be taken to value that task economically is to pay super on paid parental leave. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Now, the other parties both supported the move in the past, um, so, you know, Labor and Liberals, and they were about to do it, but why do you think they are now ignoring the issue? It is so frustrating, and I wish I knew the answer to that question. There was rumours in the budget that the current Liberal government might add super to paid parental leave. It had been Labor Party policy at the last election to add super to paid parental leave, and this time crickets. Both of them have backed away from that pledge. And after the terrible treatment of women under the current government, I really thought they would have realised they need to do more for women in order to shore up their own re-election, if nothing else. But we haven't heard any announcements about closing the gender pay gap or putting super onto PPL. And I'm flabbergasted that the Labor Party has decided to drop that part of their policy. It's not expensive. It doesn't cost that much. And yet it makes a real difference for women. Um, It's a really important way of keeping women connected to the workforce. Um, It's an important economic measure. There are no downsides to it. And so I'm really disappointed that both of the larger parties have not taken the issue of women's equality seriously enough. We carried out an opinion poll uh, about this issue, and we found that 82% of Australians support the idea of superannuation paid on parental leave. Isn't it the truth that this measure really has all party support, Larissa? And is there any way, once the election's over, that you might be able to raise questions or some kind of bill that would get this issue voted on in Parliament? Because you've got to feel that most parliamentarians would support it. Look, the answer is yes. It is somewhat bizarre that they say they agree with putting super on PPL and yet they're not taking that to the election. I have a bit of difficulty with people not campaigning on the things that they they say they stand for. But I am hopeful that with a change of government and with more Greens in the parliament that we will be able to push an incoming Labor government to go back to their original position of supporting putting paper and to leave on super. And it's something that I hope that the next parliament will be able to deliver. Because as I've said, it's it's not a costly measure from the government's perspective, but it makes a real difference in so many women's lives. So I'm very hopeful that we will be able to get something done. But it's very disappointing that the two big parties don't take this issue seriously enough to be actually campaigning on it and saying that they will fix it. So the Greens are proud to push this and we'll keep pushing it until we get it. 
Larissa, it's also quite nonsensical, really, when you think about the stats, the raw, cold, hard fact is that women make up 51%. So, you know, for th- for this majority to be ignored at such a core level, not just in the policy, but also in, I think, in the conversation, you know, it's being ignored in the campaign conversation, and then that has the flow-on effect in society the conversation isn't happening about how women can be more aware of their super. And I think Mm. that sounds like something that you are working hard on. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think for a start, we need to have some more women in parliament because women are being marginalised in parliament and our issues for women everywhere are being marginalised, even though, as you say, we're more than half the population. So I think if we have some more women in parliament, we might get some more lived experience and some better conversations. But you're right to point out that there's not always a huge awareness of superannuation um, amongst anyone, really, but particularly amongst women. And there are things we can do to fix that. I think we need to improve financial literacy programs. Uh, We need to make sure that frontline support services have financial counsellors on staff so that women can get that advice. But I also thought it was really interesting during COVID where the government promoted early access to super to help people get out of a tricky current situation. And many women accessed that and I'm concerned that there will be some of those women might have been coerced into accessing their super because coercive control and domestic violence is just at enormous levels. And so we will see further impoverishment of women in retirement because of these early access schemes. So there's really a lot more that could be done. And one of the things that the Greens have announced this election is that we'd actually like to increase um, super contributions to carers, which uh, mostly, of course, is women. And we think that um, carers should actually be paid 500 bucks a year each year for um, being the parent of a child under the age of six. Uh, that's one way to try to reduce that compounding super gap as, as a woman moves through her life. And the other thing The other thing that we could do is to double that low-income superannuation taxation offset, which is a bit of a mouthful, um, but it's essentially um, a tax measure which the government currently provides for low-income earners, again, mostly women, but it's a very small amount. We think doubling that listo, that that super tax offset, will also help try to close that superannuation gap for women. Mm. Now, you've also talked about flexible working. Could you tell us a little bit more about that too? COVID really showed that there can be a successful mix of working from an office and also working from home and that you don't lose productivity. So I think that's a real lesson for employers to bear in mind when parents, and particularly mums, come and ask for flexible work arrangements. That's something that could be delivered and could see increases in workforce productivity, but that fabulous flexibility for women to encourage them to stay in the workforce. The other thing is shared care and we've had a paid parental leave system that up until the budget this year had a little bit that was um, available for men to take, for fathers to take. Now, not many men took that up, which was a real shame and the Prime Minister just changed that in the most recent budget and now there's no father-only paid parental leave. It's all shared but we actually need to encourage men to participate in the very early months of a baby's life because the evidence shows mostly from Scandinavia and other other Eastern European countries that if men are doing more care work early on they actually then do more care work as the little one gets older and they contribute more to the domestic uh, load generally so it is a good thing to share that unpaid care load 
And we think having that dedicated amount of six weeks of paid parental leave just for dads to take, and it's a use it or lose it situation, will really help encourage dads to step up and be dads as well as workers. It's a win-win in every direction. That's so interesting, actually. We spoke to Telstra, who've recently introduced super on parental leave, and they're finding um, that Mm. uh, fathers really want to do this. Uh, And when they get reassurance from the workplace that their careers won't suffer, they actually do up Mm. those rates, Mm. which currently stand at about 12%, I think. Mm. Which is so interesting, isn't it? It's a cultural barrier. And I think the more men we see taking that paid parental leave and setting that example, the more that whole concept will be normalised and honestly we will just have a more equal society going forward and kids will get the benefit of input from both of their parents on a more regular basis. Absolutely right, Larissa. I think you've absolutely nailed it today with so much of this and I particularly loved how you spoke about we're trying to prevent women retiring into poverty. Doesn't that sum it up brilliantly? Thank you very much indeed for your time, Larissa. Brilliant. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you so much, Larissa, and best of luck on that campaign trail. Oh, and don't forget, for those listening at home, you can support our campaign trail at reallysimplemoney.com.au forward slash superwomen. That's S-U-P-A-W-O-M-E-N. Thank you, Richard Mercer. (laughs) Okay, now getting your finances in order can be complicated, so where do you turn for advice? Why do I sound like the dumb idiot that says TikTok? (laughs) Because you're the millennial. Well, it's my mate Paul at the pub, actually. Those ostrich farms are going to make a big comeback. Oh, dear. (laughs) Now, family and friends might be helpful. Well, not my family, but anyway. (laughs) Do they really know what makes a good investment or how to create a budget? I don't think so. Social media is also, uh, you know, it's full of these so-called influencers paid by promoters to push financial products. But I, I personally wouldn't trust them as far as I can throw them with my financial advice. And what about those professional financial advisors whose job it is to help you through the money maze? Well, thanks to government regulation as a result of various inquiries into the industry, they are quitting in droves. In fact, we've just lost 13000 in just Whoa, a few years. God, that's a lot. Mm. And now the cost of those services of those who are left is at over $3,600. Mm. Pretty hefty. And at a time when price is rising, less than one in 10 Australians can afford it. And for women, let's face it, that's particularly tough. With their special needs, and we've discussed this here at Really Simple Money over the past few months, it means they deserve to have financial advice more than blokes do. Michelle Stone has been a financial advisor for over 20 years, and she's the founder of Feel Good Financial Planning, which is in Hornsby in New South Wales. She specialises in risk advice, lifestyle planning, wealth creation, and estate succession planning. I like the sound of Michelle. Mm -hmm. She was also the 2019 Financial Services Partners Advisor of the Year and was a finalist in the 2019 Woman in Finance Awards. Yay, Michelle! Michelle winning! G'day, Michelle, and welcome to our Super Women podcast. It's so great to have you on today. Thank you. Thank you, Rosie. Okay, I'm going to launch straight into this. Um, How important is it to have great financial advice for the average Aussie family? Yes. So uh, first of all, I have to say that this is general advice only without taking into account any of your listeners' individual circumstances. So really good financial advice is 
is much like an extension of good advice, um, except this is pertaining to your wealth goals. And, you know, much like with anything, um, you know, what financial planners do is we want to work to help you achieve your goals. So that's what you want out of life, um, you know, as an individual, as a member of a couple or, you know, as the leader of a family or a participant in a family. Um, so the way that I like to describe goal setting is, you know, describe a lack of goal setting, which is not having a plan is like being in a room and you're trying to hit a dartboard, but the lights are off. Right? <laughs> oh, my God, you've just described my life. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, given the, the difficulties, um, which you so beautifully illustrated, and also the high cost and checkered reputation of the advice industry, what is the best way for an ordinary family to go about getting this great advice? Yeah, so like most things, I think a referral from a trusted friend can be a good place to start. So if one of your mates has a financial planner that they're happy with, that's a good place to start. Also as well, we tend to hang out with people that are like us. So if they have the skill set to help your friend, perhaps they will have the skill set to help you also. And, um, you know, that's how I get most of my clients too, by referrals. So another way uh, that you can go about it, if in particular, if you don't have that, or if none of your friends, are, you know, you're the thought leader in your friend group of seeking advice, um, you can check out the FAR register to make sure that your local financial planner has a license. So you, you know, uh, avoid nefarious people. And um, there are websites <laughs> like Advisor Rating. <laughs> I, I was going to say the name, but I, I didn't go there. <laughs> and um, <laughs> advisor ratings, you can actually check out um, real people like you and they rate their financial planners. And you also look at the areas of advice too because not all advisors advise in all areas. So you're going to make sure they're a fit for what you want. I love it. It's almost like having your accountant. You know, for me, being a journo, I like to have an accountant who has media experience. There's a few niches in that area that Absolutely. apply to me. Is there a financial advisor for buying shoes? <laughs> As an investment partner? Really being totally serious. Um, if that's really important to your happiness levels, we would include that as uh, in your oh budget. God, uh, we we're signing good. Like, you've just got two more customers. Yes, yeah, personalized. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, I this, love it. This is what personalized financial planning does. It's not boring. It's exciting. It's fun. It's all about what makes you happy, and it's not just about building wealth for the sake of building wealth. Like wealth is just a tool. Like money's just a tool to help us live our best lives. And if that's a pair of Manalo blind or however you yes. say those things, then that's what it <laughs> well, is. Well, because let's know? be honest, um, you know, it, it's it's like, it, it is like that. You can go into your financial advisor and say, yes, I'm ticking all the boxes, and then you go out and buy the shoes anyway. So mm. you might as well be up and honest <laughs> and open about that yes. so that, you know, yeah. it's, it's like going into your, your therapist and saying everything's fine. Yeah, you're wasting your money. Absolutely. But look. If you are really honest about your goals, not just to your financial planner, but to yourself, right, we're, we're not going to set you up to fail. We're not going to do a budget for you that you couldn't possibly stick to because it's not in alignment with your goals. If you're doing something in alignment with your goals, you'll stick to it, right? So, like, uh, the art of financial planning is to make as few 
big changes as possible and make a lot of little tweaks that you can uh, easily do, right? Sometimes there are big changes needed for certain reasons. But, you know, when we at Feel Good look to do financial advice for someone, I want to set you up for success. I want to help that be so easy for you to do that, that, um, you know, you're going to feel proud of yourself and then get that positive reinforcement. I love you already, um, Because Michelle. that's what yeah. we're it's Because we're owning our yes. realities, right? And you've you've put it really well. So it's about Absolutely. your lifestyle choices and your priorities. Um, so, for example, yes. um, as you would know, you've had a little look over my financial situation for my priorities, I prefer to rent a house rather than buy the one that I'm living in because I can't afford to own a place in the area that I want to live in. Um, and then I have an investment property on the side, which is my priority as as a financial investment. Um, and sure, that might not be the traditional way that we're taught we should do things, but apparently this is how you guys work. You don't discourage that and and this is becoming more of the norm and trying to encourage lifestyle choices because that's more sustainable. Is that right? Say yes. <laughs> you know, it's what works for you and, and works for your goals. I mean, the, the biggest thing that we do, because we do modelling out to life expectancy, is just make sure that the client's tracking okay to have enough money for the whole time. Um, so we've we've got to look at, yeah, of course, practicalities, like, you know, everyone lives in a place unless you live in a caravan. Um, and whether that's rented or, or owned, you know, you, you include that into the plan. Your advice is what's right for you. And really, like, it, it's as simple as that. We're going to give you a lot of facts. We're going to give you some guidance. A lot of our improvements as well relate to strategic tax advice and um, ensuring that, you know, the fees that you're paying are competitive. And there's a lot of useful things that we can do. But the most important thing is that you own your own reality. You're not ashamed of where you're at. You kind of move past that and try to transcend that. And, and you know, as long as your needs are being met, it doesn't really matter the way that you go about them as long as it works for you. And um, we will give you feedback on um, on things that we see in the body of the plan like and with your permission. But that's only if you want to look at it different ways. Like some people are quite happy with how... But I love the way their scope is limited. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you there, but I just yeah. love the way that you brought no, the emotional no. connection into it just then about how we have our relationship with money. It's about taking the embarrassment or the shame or the, you know, the skeletons in the closet of our finances. It's about just putting them all on the table and going, here it is. Oh. Yeah. Is that half the battle, Absolutely. do you think, with giving people advice or, or helping them plan? Um, yes. <laughs> so look, I obviously financial planners, I mean, I, I will have to be perfectly honest with you. We do see people that are, you know, can afford our services and usually have, you know, already some savings ability and, you know, awareness. Um, what I'm passionate about is helping people uncover their unconscious money biases, which is basically our training from childhood, right? Zero to seven, you, you're in your house, you know, if you're me, you're listening to your parents worry about money and, you, and you're very, feeling very worried <laughs> about, you know, how we're going to survive as a family because you're eavesdropping on your parents being worried. That's right. And it changes the way that you are. That yes. was absolutely my story growing up and I've inherited some of that fear and and money equals security. Mm. 
and and it's um, it's really hard to break that that long tradition and not to pass it on for me to pass it on to my children. Mm. Um, would you say that particular mindset is worse for women than it is for men in today's society? I think that women are indoctrinated differently to men. As much as I don't like to think that I do, and there are demonstrations as well. For example, it's um, well known in our industry that women can be a little bit more conservative with their risk profile, so how their money's invested. So, you know, you can kind of see that. Uh, I do think that, um, yeah, like my my observation of my female clients is that they can be more conservative. And, is that um, necessarily a bad thing? It means fewer fewer rewards at the you know the more volatile end of investment. It depends on the goals. I think generally speaking, any belief that's a hindrance to you achieving your goals or being objective you have to be made aware of that, right? And that, because keeping in mind there's no right or wrong, there's just what the client wants and what's standing in the way. And the thing that's actually standing in the way is the client, right? Yeah. It's the shadow version of the client. Yeah. It's the shadow version of yourself the that you are aware of, right? Because no one's going to stop achieving your goals except for you because, like, I mean, I've seen um, clients who, you know, have not come back to the second meeting and it's not the price or anything like that. It's just that they don't believe their circumstances can be improved upon because they have a feeling of a sense of hopelessness, you know, and if you don't don't get out of bed, like you can't participate in the day, you know, and, you know, this is where I guess you would go to your mental health um, professionals. You know, we we are not that. But a lot of financial planners that you speak to and, and not just me, they're very passionate um, about just really helping people achieve achieve what they want, you know. Um, so can I ask, uh, Michelle, isn't the most important thing uh, about giving people back control of their finances? Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody talks about this, but it's really giving people the basis to understand where they are and where they could be. Absolutely. And the so, yes, yes, it's control. Um, to me, I would describe that as awareness because there's a willful ignorance that people have because of shame, because of, um, you know, comparison to peers, comparison to social media, which a lot of that is inflated. I, I'm sure we can all agree. And, you know, people are very critical of themselves in what I can see of people and, you know, very Rarely do I meet someone that is completely happy with their set of circumstances. So it's really bringing awareness to it, having a lot of compassion and love for yourself, and that will help you, to Peter's point, take control, right, because you will own your circumstances. You will move out of victim mode and into, um, you know, being aware that you are the controller of your own reality to a certain degree because we also have collective rules that that we play to as well. So it's called the Australian Tax Office. It's called the Six Act. <laughs> oh, yes, those guys. So that's just me getting a bit nerdy. But, you know, in, in respect of what people need to know, like 
people just need to back themselves and love themselves. And, you know, I, I know it sounds like so soft and simplistic, but it really is that powerful. Like, it's, But awareness you know, is really important. I mean, I remember Rosie did some uh, street interviews uh, as part of our campaign to get super paid on yes. parental leave. Yes. And, you know, the, uh, the outstanding thing was how many people she stopped in the streets and said, so do you think you're on your way to a comfortable retirement? Oh. So do you know what you need? to save, to have a comfortable retirement. Mm. And yes. I think amazingly, stop me if I'm yes. wrong, Rosie, one quite young person yeah. who had heard it in school actually got it right, but everyone else got it wrong. That's so true. So they, they yeah. no idea where wow. they're heading. No idea where they're heading. I mean, that's really wow. scary. And, and then when I was able to share yeah, with them the numbers that they should require, People were shocked yeah, and were. <laughs> and uh, that was a bit confronting actually to see the look on their faces because that really essentially means people are heading into a retirement of poverty, um, which is pretty scary. Without knowing it. Yes. I mean, that's really the scary part. Hey, so let's just play a little game here about um, a person walking in to see an advisor. Um they advise they they are told to basically come in with a list of questions to be a little bit armed about what they might want to know about. What would be a good list of first off questions for people to walk in with? Okay, so I'm going to answer your question in a roundabout way. Depending on the advisor's process, we can send out like a, a pre-meeting form and the, the list of questions will relate to your goals. So the, the first thing is, what are my goals? Um, there might be specific boring things that you want to touch off on too. So say, for example, you've got a letter from your super fund saying that it's in the uh, bottom performing quartile and, you know, you're concerned about that for performance. So you would like that reviewed. You might have that on like, I guess, a to-do list and being aware of what your goals are as well. So, and all your questions. So we have like a pre-appointment meetings where people will call up and they'll just give us that little bit of um, intro to themselves and then we understand if we can help them or not because, again, we our licence permits us to advise in certain areas and, you know, I need to make sure that even before I get into having that formal first meeting with a client that, you know, we're going to be a, a reasonable fit for each other. So, um, yeah, so, for example, when you say goals, do you differentiate between lifestyle goals and financial goals or is that all part of the package? So Burn, for example, says my goal is to have a wardrobe full of amazing shoes mm -hmm. and I say my goal <laughs> is to not have a credit card debt. Uh, they're all relevant <laughs> goals, yes? <laughs> yes. They, they, are, they are all relevant goals. Like, look, normally when people... Um, um, see a financial planner, they try to put their best adulting questions forward. So it'll be like, um, yeah. They want to appear, like, and it's not want to appear, but they, it actually takes a lot of work from me to get to the shoe goal. Yeah. You know, it actually takes a lot of work from, from me to get the client to open up and not to take things. Um, so I, I guess, uh, technical, leave that up to us because when we listen to you in our first meeting, what our job is, is to listen, 
we identify all areas of advice that may be relevant to you and then you scope them out. So we don't rely on you to know what you need because you don't know what you don't know, right? So this is where if you just stick to your goals, stick to the things that you want to talk about, we'll listen to you and then go, okay, Rosie, these are all the areas of scope I've selected for you and this is why and this is based on your goals and based on what you've said. And then depending on how the planner charges, it'll be by scope or by um, package if they only offer a full service package. Um, You will then scope out those areas and go, look, you've highlighted estate planning. My sister's a lawyer. I'm actually going to go to her and get that done. So just take that off because, you know, I don't really want that covered in your advice document. And that's just an example of how you can then link the scope, okay? Um, So that's the way that comprehensive financial planning advice is run. Okay. So you've highlighted that. What about that basic question of, hey, how much is this going to cost me? Do people actually ask that? (laughs) And is that what keeps people away from Um, that first chat? Look, I'd say, I'd say so. I'd say so. Look, the, the, the main advisor cost is about four grand. Um, for a comprehensive plan. Uh, Some people charge more. It depends on the city that you live in. Um, Sydney's quite expensive for advice. I will quote my clients up front um, in an indicative in that first preliminary, you know, 15-minute chat, which is a pre-meeting chat, um, just so that they know. Like, I don't want to blindside somebody with that. (laughs) Um, But in saying that... Some people have their fees on their website. With any luck, you know, one session can save a person four grand or make a person four grand easily. So it's, you know, would it be rare that a person comes out worse off after a financial chat? You have a legal obligation to make sure that they are in a better position, okay? So there is literally a thing in the advice document called a better position statement. So we also have an obligation, like we have a best interest duty obligation to you. Like all of this, financial planners are under such rigorous legislation um, and it's not just a moral obligation and it's actually in our code of ethics to do the right thing by the client. It's in our legal obligations as well. So So you do have a lot of protection. So You've just opened a can. What, yeah. what happens is that you get a kind of life plan which takes you to that comfortable retirement position. Is that really the value here? If your plan's to have a comfortable retirement, um, then, you know, you will get a retirement plan to life expectancy. You should tell your advisor if you are not seeking ongoing advice so that they can make sure that the strategy that they develop for you is within uh, a, an ordinary person's skill set to implement, okay? You should, with any significant changes, go back and get that checked if you are able to do so, um, if you can afford to do so. Um, our... Uh, best practice is to leave you in a better position and not always is that financially but in a majority of circumstances it I would anticipate that it should be and that is definitely my focus. So my focus is on getting you um, bringing to light uh, different advantages of, of savings. Uh, for example, you know there are certain tax savings to utilising superannuation that are very well known. If we're doing an insurance review from someone we would look to I guess just really make sure that that person is really well established in all the areas that they need advice in so we would have to make it worth it you know that that's 
that that's our obligation to you. Um, can we guarantee an outcome? No, because depending on how complex the file is, only you're only able to know once you actually start to work in it because we have to collect a lot of information to review. So, you know, there's that as well. So it is a bit of a leap of faith, though, I will say. Do you know, I reckon um, you've, you've just really you know, made a bit of information um, accessible. I don't think many people knew that, that you guys are actually obliged no. to make to make to things, make things better. better. <laughs> I love it. Makes sense, but hey. Yes, that should be on a bus billboard. I swear to God, your industry would just go gangbusters. Yeah. So look, I, will, I will just quickly just intersperse that and caveat that and say that that is what our obligation is. If your circumstances are already robust or if your circumstances are limited, we may not be able to do that. So that's an intent, not a guarantee. Yeah, but oh. really are um, we talking about 0.5 of a percent of the population here that are in that position? Well, I, know, I think what you're saying, Michelle, is that that first interview you do uh, actually works out whether or not you can help someone and that's where, you, you know, you can ascertain whether or not you're yes. going to be beneficial or not. Mm. Co- correct. So really, kind of yeah, last question correct. from me, Michelle. But um, are people surprised at how long the process takes to go from that first meeting oh, into getting, you know, solid advice? Oh, absolutely. Like it's it's a real can be really lengthy process. Like from the first meeting after you get all the paperwork back that I require, it can take up to six weeks. Um, to get that advice to you. And then after that, it can take weeks and weeks and weeks to implement. And if you've got insurance that's being implemented as well, it can take up to three months. So that's what we call foundation plan, which is your your first plan, or it might be your only plan, depending on what your whether you want um, oversight on your financial plan or not. So it, it can take a while. You do have to be patient. And the other thing is as well is it's a really big process. Depending on your scope of advice, like we go through everything. We go through your super. We lodge authorities to collect the, the proper data from the providers directly. Um, we we can be looking at your budget and, and including your day-to-day expenses if you, if you want us to. Like your whole life is laid bare. And, you know, by the end of it, this is I'm talking to a comprehensive financial plan by the end of it there'll be no stone unturned like you you should be quite Sounds like aware on, of online dating if you ask me <laughs> I'm gonna put all my personal information out there and then I hope you still talk to me in the end <laughs> oh but you'll be so much richer for it <laughs> Rosie, this is where the shame comes in. There's no shame. I don't care. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care if you've got a gambling addiction. <laughs> I don't care. Like, I just want to help you. Like, that's that's my job. And we, we charge a fee for service. Like, I get the same amount of money, you know, for looking, you know, for I looking reckon, at someone I, who does I suspect, doesn't... Michelle, that uh, financial advisors have probably seen and heard a lot of different stuff over the years. Like there would be some good dinner party stories like the confessional. from you guys. Yeah, <laughs> you'd be able to say, oh, my Lord, you should have uh, met the person I gave advice to today. I mean, you'd have some crackers, no doubt. Yeah, but we have to keep those to ourselves. Oh, <laughs> what a pity. <laughs> That's for next week's podcast. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, now. I want you to think of me as a priest. So, you know, you come to the confessional, what goes on in the confessional stays on in the confessional and then you leave. Peter's so, got you know. one little final question for you yeah, now. Yeah, so look, so look one, one question we always ask our, our guests is 
what's the best piece of financial advice you've ever been given? Okay, so the only person stopping you from achieving your goals is you. So dream big. And I'll I'll explain this briefly. I had a meeting with my mentor once, and this is a long time ago, and he noticed that my growth was stagnating, my business growth. And he said, you're like a flea inside a glass. You've been trained to jump to a certain height, but the lid's off now and you forgetting your power, like you're forgetting how high you can jump. And I swear I did not change a single thing that I was doing except for that conversation. And the following year, I added like 50% growth. It's just my mindset changed. Like, hey, that conversation, you know, one of those conversations that really sticks with you. And I was like, why why am I just going to this same figure over and over and over again? Like, you know, it, it didn't make sense. And, oh and then God. I was like, okay, I'm just yeah. in a passion. I'm wow. also a flea. I've had the revelation. I'm a flea. The lid is off. Let's do this. I love it. That is such a powerful vision. Look, Michelle, you've been a gem today. So grateful for this. And I'm just going to quietly write down your details as soon as we finish the podcast. But yeah, you've really shed some light on it. And yeah, it's terrific. Thank you so much for your valuable time. Thank you. Time for my favorite time of the podcast with the legendary Jen Frost, money expert from Insignia Financial, formerly known as IWOF. Now, this is our regular spot. It is my favorite. Jen, the name of it comes from your own podcast called The Reality Check. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. What have we got happening this week, Jen? Well, I'm pretty excited about this episode, Rosie, perhaps not quite as sexy as some of the sexy super stuff we've spoken about previously, but fundamentally important. And today we're going to talk a little bit about how to protect the wealth that we have and potentially something more relevant than ever, given the volatility we've lived in the last couple of years. Yeah, no, I have no doubt that we can make this sexy. Uh, (laughs) That's a challenge. (laughs) Okay, so today's challenge protecting our long-term financial situation, our, our positions for the longevity. I I think this is a big one, but it's not something that we like to sit around thinking about in our 30s or even our 20s, is it? No, absolutely not. And in fact, at any age, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges is hopefully, and hopefully in some of the previous podcasts, we've we've tried to make people excited about making money and about, you know, investing in themselves and, and even in budgeting and savings that comes with this sort of joy of we've got a little bit more money perhaps than we did yesterday. Now, the thing that is is just kind of not that fun in any way is thinking about when things might go wrong. And it's it's really awful. It's awful thinking about anyone we love getting sick. It's awful thinking about ourselves getting sick or or, or something unforeseen happening, whether that's job loss or or anything else. And then in turn, it's awful thinking about death. But it is fundamentally important, and so I hope we hold the audience with me just for one moment longer. It is fundamentally important to think about these things and put some measures into place. Yeah, this isn't a luxury anymore to, to have your emergency plan in place. This is just a given. In the current climate, we need to be protected. And our you know younger women of Australia, we need to know that just from the outset. It's, it's lock it in now and off we go. So let's talk about some of these biggest dangers that we're facing in the current climate, everything from interest rate rises to high mortgages, 
job losses, everything that you've just mentioned there, Jen, it is a reality. Not that we want to start off down the negative track here, but let's just be a bit grounded about it, right? Yeah, exactly right. And I think I think it's exactly that. We no one wants to sit here today and think that something bad is going to happen, but people get sick, people lose their jobs, and it is as important to try and build our wealth and build that beautiful money tree that is our lives, it's equally as important to protect it. So I'd love just to talk a little bit more, Rosie, today about a couple of different ways that we should be protecting our finances because I think, Rosie, maybe there's kind of three or four key aspects that I want to talk about. I want to talk about an emergency fund. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about insurance. I want to talk about protecting your family and yourself and your income through insurance. And then I want to talk a little bit about estate planning, which is planning for the future. None of these are new things, right? Like I'm not telling anyone, I'm not mentioning anything that they haven't heard before, but I want to start at the beginning and that is an emergency fund. Now, this is specifically important for those unforeseen circumstances that come up. And these, uh, to put some colour to this, I want people to think about crashing your car. I want people to think about, you know, six-year-olds accidentally left the bath running and you're flooded two rooms in your house. Mm. I want to think about... The dog gets hit by a car. Right. Or the dog gets poorly. I mean, goodness, dogs, they they are an expensive little thing. If You know, if they get sick and there's a big fat vet bill, these are all the sorts of things that I think if we go back to our budgeting episode, Rosie, they aren't necessarily things that we factor into our day-to-day budgeting because it's hard to kind of think of all of these things that are out of our control. And that's where an emergency fund comes into place. So one of the most common questions we get through the reality check is how much money is the right number to have in my emergency fund? Yeah. Does it come down to a percentage? How do you work it out? Oh gosh, Rosie. Look, it's incredibly individual. It is incredibly individual. I I personally love the thought of having about a quarter, even a half if possible, but certainly a quarter of your annual income. What? Right. That's a dream. Mm. It's a dream. It's a dream. Now I'm saying that because I want to, I want to put a big, big fat dream out there to our audience. And now let's rein it back and go, how many of us have zero dollars in that emergency fund? Yeah. Most. Yeah. Most. Okay. So you just came out with a big scare tactic there. I did. Purposely. <laughs> purposely. I saw your face. You just went. <laughs> I see what you're doing. All right. I did that on purpose. Yeah. I mean, let's be realistic. Most people don't have an emergency fund at all. Absolutely. All right. and, and most could never afford. There's so many other things in their life, they couldn't afford to keep a quarter of an annual income sitting in an account. Nor you know, do we have that discipline. I mean, oh, God. absolutely. So the most important thing is, is that I'm going to be this kind of, um, I don't, I don't know, unclear about it, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I, I want to be this personalized about it. Pick a number, pick a number right now. That is your goal for your emergency fund this year. Now that goal might be a thousand dollars. That goal might be $5,000. Mm. I want you to think about, I want the audience to think about that number right now. I want you to literally write it down on a piece of paper. That is your emergency fund number. Got it. Right? Now you're going to have to figure out how you're going to get there. And you know what I love, Rosie? I love automation. You know, so try and can you divide that by 52 weeks of the year and can you put a set amount in as an automated direct debit into an yeah. account? 
break it down, it's a lot more achievable when you do it that way. One of the other ones that I've seen loads of different people online doing it, and I think it's wildly good fun, I really do love it, is let's say let's say the amount was 100 just to make life easier. So you're going to put $100 into your emergency account this year. Then get your kids to help you rip up different pieces of paper with different dollar amounts on it. So some might be $2, some might be $10, some might be $15. Chuck them in an envelope. And every month, pick a number out of the envelope and transfer that amount into your emergency fund. By the end of the year, you're going to have that total amount. So have fun with it. Whatever you're doing, guys, do it. Just to be clear, we're not actually talking about ripping up money and putting that <laughs> in the envelope. Yeah, just to be clear. Um, Write a number on a piece yeah, of paper. Good thing we don't have paper money anymore. Okay. Yeah. So, Emergency fund, tick, I done. Love that. Emergency fund. Number two, we talked about insurance, yeah? Yeah, insurance. Now, this is a huge conversation, Rosie, and we only have time to just really scratch the surface of this at the moment. But I, I just want to bring this to light. Um, personal insurances, now this covers life insurance. It covers something called TPD, which is total and permanent disablement or disability. Mm-hmm. There is income protection and there is trauma insurance. Now, these are four different types of personal insurances. One life obviously pays a lump sum when you die. Yeah. So they're paying that to whoever you've left behind. Yeah. Second, TPD, that is a, a payment made when you have become totally and permanently disabled. So that means you can never work again. And okay. And that another obvious reason why that insurance can be very, very powerful. Yes. The third income protection is a range of measurements that would dictate that you cannot work perhaps temporarily for a period of time and in turn income protection kicks in and pays a cover of that income that you are missing out on perhaps because you are unwell or have been in an accident. Yeah. And finally, trauma, which is specifically linked to a large number of health events, and they are the common ones. They are heart attack, stroke, cancer. If you get one of those conditions and have trauma insurance in place at a lump sum, so whether that's $50,000, $100,000, $500,000 is paid to you as a lump sum when you are diagnosed with one of those significant health conditions. Now, I want to be really, really clear about this, guys. These insurances come in many different formats. You can, you would have seen the ads if you've ever watched daytime TV. You can pick up the phone and you can get it yourself. Mm. Alternatively, there is retail cover, which in many ways, and that often comes through financial advice, and that is the cover that um, often has many, many caveats and bells and whistles and things that are fundamentally important. This is complex stuff. It is costly. It's horrible to think about. It's hard to think about. And it certainly is one of the areas, Rosie, where I would say um, getting appropriate financial advice to ensure that your insurances are in place. It's often a one-off event. It's yeah. you get them in place and then you leave them. It is something that I think that having the correct advice around is fundamentally important. Love it. So step number three. Step number three is estate planning. And this is where I'm talking about going towards the end of your life. And again, there's huge complexity to this, but I want to call something out really, really loudly here, Rosie. This is loud. I need a megaphone. Wait, are we going to say that it's called estate planning because we all thought that by the time we get to the end of our lives, we're all going to have these amazing sprawling estates? (laughs) 
Like, is it just me that has always thought, why do they call it that? Oh, I love that. I've never found, do you know how many times in my life I say estate planning? Now you're going to make me think of it in a whole Boring, different yeah, way. Yeah, it's more like a little apartment somewhere and we'll be lucky <laughs> if our kids visit us because it's in the, in the grotto. Let's okay, think of it as tiny yeah. net worth planning. Correct. Okay. <laughs> Back to our non-estate estate planning. Estate planning. Busy megaphone. It's all yours. The floor is yours. My megaphone is... 50% of Australians do not have a will in place. Whoa. Yeah. Now. I mean, assuming people pass and they have assets, where does that all go? Oh, now you speak to any estate lawyer, you speak to really go and speak to some of your mates because undoubtedly they've been part of this. When people die and there aren't clear instructions in place, a series of very awful things happen. Oh. It is a time when trustees so for example if there's a superannuation fund involved there may be a super fund that is involved a trustee that can be involved in making that decision there are lawyers involved there is the capacity for people to miss out there is undoubtedly plenty of fighting and carrying on that can happen as a result either way you being the person who has just passed away your wishes aren't being met we don't know what your wishes are we don't know what you want and the people left behind often have both an incredibly costly Mm. incredibly costly and an incredibly emotionally challenging time to try and try and get to the bottom of it. So first and foremost, guys, if you have a will, is it accurate? Is it up to date? Is it current? If you do not have a will, please, please, please get one in place. And here's my question. In order for it to be legal, what do you actually have to do? I mean, I'd I'd be very happy to draw up a little Word document right now and then email someone saying this is official as of this date. Would that cover me? Oh, look, the funny thing is, is what you've just said then, there would be an acknowledgement of that. If you set, if you you wrote an email tomorrow and sent it to someone and you died the day after and they read that email, there is absolute intent in that. And, and that would be considered, but it isn't a legally binding okay. will and testament. So to do something that is absolutely unmovable, i.e. you pass away and this is what's going to happen to your money, then you need to go through the official legal parameters of writing a will and testament. And that can be done in a couple of different ways, Rosie. You can walk into a post office and get an easy will kit. It's a couple of hundred bucks and you can do it yourself. You can jump online. There are plenty of reputable sites online where you can bash out a pretty straightforward basic will for a couple of hundred bucks. Yeah. Alternatively, you can go. At, so your your subject matter expert in the category of wills is a, an estate lawyer. They are a specific solicitor who specialises in these matters and there are plenty of them around on the high street you know there's dedicated um, solicitors that do it and that can cost anywhere from a couple hundred bucks to a couple of thousand depending on the complexity of what you need to put into place Mm. Rosie other than your assets so this is what we're talking about obviously wills where's my money going to go I I just want to draw your attention to one really important thing to anyone with children the second that you have a child in this world you need to have guardianship in place. No yes. one ever wants to consider it. Literally, I've got shivers. I'm here talking to you and I do this all the time and it puts shivers up my spine. I'm a mum and I never, ever, ever want to think that I would ever not be there. But sometimes that happens. And it is fundamentally important to ensure that you have documented who you would wish to have look after your children in that event 
because again, it's a fundamentally huge decision that if you haven't put into writing, mm. then you are leaving that to other people to make that decision. So scary, scary to talk about, but yet again, it's a reality. It is. It is. Sorry, the reality check. Ew. I know. I know but these are the topics. And as mums, most of us listening, you know, as, as women, this is, this is the reality. So, okay. We've, we've talked about estate planning. Is that everything we need to think about in terms of for down the track? Oh, look. Your stuff? I mean, that's a silly question, no doubt. Yeah, it is. Look, I, I, Rosie, you, you don't let me speak for the three hours that I clearly <laughs> need on this stage. I think we have, we have summed up for me being, so let's take this back again, emergency fund, insurances, estate planning, wills. Yes. There is complexity in all of these and I think they are fundamentally important. Some of the things like the emergency fund, you can just start that today and I hope those listening will just start it. Whatever you've got is better than nothing. Yeah. Insurances and estate planning, this is where there is lots of benefits in seeking advice. You know, there's lots of benefits in just going and speaking to someone, get it in place, and then it is a set and forget. This is a set and forget. And Jen, that doesn't have to cost such a packet, does it, getting the right advice? No, look, absolutely not. And look, the cost of advice is such a common question, Rosie. I think people often feel like, how will I ever get advice? I can't afford it. Mm. I think fundamentally the important thing is, is speaking to people and trying to find out where there is an advisor that um, connects with you and and can cater for what it is that you are looking for because we're all looking for something different and in turn understanding what they charge up front you yeah. know and that is your absolute right to understand what that charge is it's really important to understand the work that a financial advisor does and certainly in our industry there's been phenomenal change and overhaul over the last couple of years and I'm biased but I would say the transparency provided in terms of the work, behind the scenes for financial advice is now absolutely there. These yeah. are these are phenomenal professionals who work incredibly hard and they're not charging you to rip you off. They're charging you because they've done 8, 10, 12, 15 hours worth of work mm. to put together a financial plan for you. So, and Yeah, and let's face it, if they're going to be giving you good advice, then that's going to be making you and saving you a lot of money for down the track. So this really ultimately at the end of the day, you'll come out better for it, even if you need to pay for their fees upfront. You know, it's exactly right. side of that bigger picture around it. And Rose, the one I correlate it to, um, and I often correlate financial advisors to personal trainers. And that is because, you know, we always say, oh, you can do this on your own. A lot of this stuff you can do on your own. You're absolutely right. You can. And it's the same as I can work out on my own. I don't need a personal trainer to teach me how to work out. I don't need a personal trainer to tell me I need to eat less carbohydrates and work out more, but I need the motivation to do it. And I need something that's tailored for me and my body. And I need someone who's there holding me accountable. And that is also a phenomenal aspect of financial advice. And in turn, I've paid a lot of money to personal trainers over the years. So <laughs> the professionals. Great, hon. You're looking fantastic. <laughs> you biased woman, you. 
Oh, my goodness. Well, look, it does sound like that's a very smart investment and it is what we need to hear. I mean, we, we did say today's topic is going to be one that we all don't necessarily find sexy, but I think we've achieved a lot. Um, you know, we brought it back to the topic of personal trainers, didn't we? <laughs> that is the sexiest part of this whole chat, guys. I'm, I'm terribly sorry. I did warn you all up front to stay with us. Yeah. The sexiest bit is thinking about the personal yeah. trainer. Well, I can't wait to get my personal trainer over to my estate where we'll be planning. Oh, such great advice yet again, Jen. But don't forget, you can send your questions over to jen at reallysimplemoney.com.au and sign up while you're there for our newsletter for plenty more great tips. Thank you again for listening and do send us your support for the campaign to make super payments during maternity leave mandatory. Click on the podcast link and have an awesome day. 